1: Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we're excited to be here with a reality TV star, an influencer, entrepreneur, podcaster, investor, and much more. But I'm going to stop there because I don't want to bump his tires too hard. Harry Jousie. Harry has dominated the reality TV dating scene, appearing on Austrian dating show Heartbreak Island one year before the Netflix hit Too Hot to Handle. He won the $100,000 prize on Heartbreak Island with his then-girlfriend and then got a share of a $75,000 prize fund and too hot to handle. Doesn't stop there. He owns a clothing line, sunglass company, and a dating app. Harry has used his platform to create many opportunities for himself and is quickly blown up in the social media space with almost 10000000 fucking followers. <laughs> Killing it. Harry, thank you so much for coming on Trading Secrets today. We appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, I've never had an intro like that. It makes me feel kind of important. Thank you so there much.
1: There we go. We're, we're pumping your time. We're going to build you up and break it down. No, I'm just, I'm, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. But I want to get kind of right into the reality shows that you were on. So I was on The Bachelor. And every season... Uh, You know, someone from The Bachelor, usually one or two people blow up on social media. And we actually recently just had an analyst that goes through every single person on the show. They monitor their screen time, they monitor their personalities, and then they break down how their following on social media ensues from that. So majority of the takeaways are the people that are like the really Real, authentic, and like kind-hearted, sweet individuals are the ones that take off. Now I'm not saying you're not a sweethearted, kind individual, but you I, you tell me if I'm wrong, but you kind of had that like bad boy image. So was it just you that took off? Was it surprising to you that you took off? Tell me about what that was like and how your success on social media has compared to other people from the shows that you were on.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing was I never pumped the brakes. Like I haven't really had a day off with. All of this stuff since the show kind of come out, I think that you know a lot of people in this similar show kind of just felt like that was it, like they hit the ceiling, they made it. Let's let's continue to just do the same old stuff that we were doing before. So I think my my difference in success was that I uh, saw the opportunity, did my absolute best to hold on to it, and then I've just continued to to keep the wheels moving uh, on this social media train.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And so before the social media train hit, I think I read that you were a model. Is that right? Like what was your professional outlook uh, from your perspective before you went on your first reality TV show? To be honest,
2: I that was the biggest lie that I've ever come out with. Oh, that was so, a lie. I love, I love that. So I was at university and I hated it. I hated it so much. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try and be a model. Like I'm skinny. I can figure it out. Maybe <laughs> I can run, like, walk a runway or something. And then I hit up this modeling agency that was in like a city that wasn't too far from me. So I flew down there. They ended up charging me like an $800 sign up fee and then like $500 for like a photo shoot. And I was like, damn, I don't really feel like this is how it works. So then I flew to a different city and got like this really expensive photographer to take photos of me and Tommy Hilfiger Undies. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to post these and tag Tommy like it was a sponsored post, like I was doing a shoot for them. And then ever since then, there's been like every time I see like, stuff about me online like they oh, got the Tommy Hilfiger model. And I was like, damn, that is sick. Never, <laughs> it was all of my dollar. Like it was all my dollar. I never was a model. I got told I was too tall. After I signed up, they told me I was living too far away when it was only like an hour flight and then all this stuff. So I was just like, okay, well, I guess this isn't, this isn't meant for me, but uh, yeah, I'm not really, not, I don't, I'm not really
1: much of a model. That's for sure. <laughs> So that's interesting. Now we have had some people from like we've had the host of MTV, Rob Deerdick, and Gary V and all the sharks from Shark Tank. We've tapped into a shit ton of musicians. We've had like a lot of industries. Modeling one is we just haven't touched it. So when you told, like, I just was initially shocked. One, I love the fake it till you make it. You got the Tommy Hill figure tag sponsored, and now everyone thinks you're a model. That's great. But you're telling me there was an agency that convinced you that you had to actually pay them to be a model
2: yeah yeah so it was like it was one of those ones because i was applying for literally every single modeling agency and i didn't have any photos i didn't have any like professional photos done and yeah one agency was literally just taking on every single person and their dog and i was like damn like maybe i should start with this agency maybe because i did not really understand what success meant in that industry so i was just like yeah maybe if i join this team like they're growing so quick that's that's a good sign, and I joined on and did literally nothing just to have a spot on the website.
1: Gotcha, unbelievable! And so, when you go on Heartbreak Island at this point, are you doing anything professionally and financially? Like, where are you at? You have money? You kind of broke? Like, what? What's the status of Harry before Heartbreak Island?
2: I was working three jobs while I was at doing a double degree at university. I was trying my absolute best to get ahead and get by. I was very fortunate that, uh, you know, my family like, uh, helped my housing situation looked after me in that in that sense, but I was putting all my money and my time into trying to get through university. Cause it was my dad's like biggest goal to have like his sons go through university. But by the time I went on Harpreet like I was pretty, I was pretty dead broke. Like I wasn't really doing too well financially. I was, I literally thought that like, you know, your paycheck each week is like the max amount of money you could get ever. So I was sitting there just like, Oh man, like, cool. Like I'm doing okay. Like took me a long time to save up like $8,000. And I was like, okay, cool. Like this is it. And then obviously went on uh, heartbreak Island. I won that show. And then that's kind of the first time I ever really had a, had a taste of, uh, you know, a pretty big paycheck.
1: Yeah. So you get the uh, big paycheck there. One question I ask almost everyone because it's interesting when you rewire people's career steps, mm-hmm. everyone has this like totally different take on college. Some people are super nerdy and they use that degree to, to catapult them. You had yeah. just mentioned that like, you were like, eh, I wasn't college wasn't my thing. Knowing what you know now, making the money that you make now, doing it the way that you've always imagined. Someone came to you and said, I'm not sure about college up in the air about it as i pursue career navigation what advice would harry give him
2: i would tell them to go travel go travel the world save up as much money as you can and go try and figure out who you are as a person because i think that's the biggest misunderstanding i saw happen with my brother is that once you finish school you have you know exactly who you want to be in the correction uh, the direction that you want to go so my brother went straight into being an engineer. And he fucking... He hated it. I don't know if I can swear on it, but he
1: hated you it. You could swear all day long. <laughs> I mean,
2: you, right? So he hated it. And I made the decision to go and travel. So I saved all my money up. I went and traveled the world. And I guess I got some maturity out of my belt, which is uh, at the time was very necessary, much needed. And then I really figured out like who I wanted to be. And I remember coming back and I was like, cool. like I don't want to work for anyone. Like I never want to work for a person again. I want to be my own boss. And then that's how I got into university. But to be honest, I think it the university depends on the person and and how you receive information. Like I was terrible at high school. I sucked at following directions and being told how to think. I love going out there and making the mistakes and learning from it and then going forward. And then this is how I need to do it. And uh, this is how I grow. I hate being told by someone else like, hey, this is how I found success. Now copy me exactly. It just doesn't Work for me. Yeah. I get so bored in that sense. I get very excited about like figuring it out myself. So I think it depends. Like obviously, if you want to be an engineer, you have to go to university. Going to be a doctor, you probably should go to university. But there probably is places where you could be a doctor without a degree. Uh, but it's probably the black market. But apart yeah. from that, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I just think that's that, good. Yeah, university yeah. wasn't isn't for everyone.
1: I like to I mean there's some big takeaways there. And what I'm hearing is like you have to have a customized approach. Not only do you have to have a customized approach, but you have to really find yourself before you start letting like a university find you. And so I like some of the ideas you have about like traveling and understanding really what it is that you want to do, as opposed to the world telling you what you should do and what you Study and then go get stuck doing it. Yeah. So that's good advice for me, Harry. So then you're you're pretty much scrapping by, double university. Mom and dad are helping you out, and then you land on your first reality show, and then you win a hundred thousand dollars. So for anybody that's never seen Heartbreak Island, kind of explain what it took to win that hundred thousand dollars.
2: It was honestly like a spaghetti bowl of shows put together, like all your reality, <laughs> like Bachelor in Paradise, mixed with like Big Brother, mixed with Survivor. They just threw it all together and. Thought that it was going to work, and it it kind of did, but it didn't really. So like to survive, you had to do challenges, and you had to win the challenges to move on to the next thing. But you also like had to kind of like fall in love or like try and get a relationship. I don't, it was like bizarre. I was like, I don't know what's working, but I'm gonna try like find a girlfriend as well as try and win the challenges because some some of the dudes were like massive and like they work out all the time. And at that time, I wasn't really big, but I was like, I'm gonna try and find a girlfriend, and then I'm she's smarter than me, so I'm gonna use her brains to try with these challenges and that's kind of how it all how it all went about. It's it's a very tricky show to understand. I don't think they really thought about it, but I think now they've got it figured out a little bit better.
1: Sounds like a real fucked up college version <laughs> of like Survivor. <laughs> like a real it was <laughs> I love it. All right so you win your hundred K. Yeah. And and so how many people are on that show? Like how many people start around? Oh
2: god, I think it was 10 people all up. I think it was five guys, five girls, I believe I believe don't yeah, don't fact check me on that because I, I don't. Okay. I just remember being lined up and I was like, oh, I remember there was one girl and I was like, you severely catfished everyone because I remember <laughs> everyone. <worked for> her.
1: <laughs> I love the honesty. You win the 100K though. So you get catfished, you see these massive dudes, you outthink them, you outwork them, and apparently you fake a relationship, but in return, you got 100K. So now you're a young kid and you got 100K. What's the first thing you're doing with that money?
2: Um, so we actually had to, so I had to split it with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, so okay, we, so you got 50 of that, we, yeah. We got 50. The wire hit me right away, and I remember sitting there and I was like, Damn, this is kind of crazy. And at that point, for the months leading up to it, I was starting my very first company, which was my sunglasses brand with my best friend who I met on the show. So, as soon as that money came in, I sent 30 to that account. So, within seconds, 30, 30 racks was already gone, and then I had a fitness app that I was trying to figure out how to start. So, right away. I think I sent 10K to get that set up. And then I booked, I used the rest of the money to book all the boys' flights to LA. Um, (laughs) Love that. (laughs) And then once we got to LA, uh, because I wanted to celebrate because I was like, oh, you guys did it with me. So it was like a handful of us. We all flew. We had a great time. But then we, in the prize fund, there was like a car, there was like a TV, there was all this extra stuff. So we ended up selling that while I was away. And then I remember I was at a club here in LA, which I've never gone back to since. And they, they scammed me like... Twenty something grand, they, twenty grand. They legit. So I remember, I was like, "What club? Or can you not bring it up?" No, nah, I don't bring it up because they suck. Okay, um, okay. But it was this. Was, but this was so long ago. I remember being there with my friends, and the bill was eight thousand dollars, which is an absurd amount to spend at a club, especially we didn't know. Like we kind of got like, you know, when all the sparklers and stuff are coming out, there was a the promoter was there, he was making his friends come over and say, "Oh, this is my birthday," or get this bottle for this girl. But I, was, I remember specifically seeing a bill for $8,000. And then the next day, my bank called me. They froze all my accounts because this is like, hey, like 27 grand's gone. And at that time, I was like, holy shit. Like, why am I spending money like a billionaire? This so it's bizarre. And then that, was, that trip ended pretty sad. And I come back and I was trying to figure out how to get that money back for like a year.
1: Wow. Harry, I hope that you now have a manager in place that is actually getting you paid at least 27 grand to show up to a club as opposed to paying 27 grand <laughs> yeah. to be at a club. I hope that rhetoric has changed.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, <that's>
1: <laughs> All right, good stuff. So, you t- But I think that's, a, I like kind of how uh, you took on a lot. Of, obviously, you had some pleasure with it, but you took on some risk. You immediately invested into those two companies. Yeah. Uh, with that 100 k for anyone out there that is looking to potentially take either a bonus or a potential savings and put it into a quick investment like you did, do you have any big takeaways from the success or failures you had with those businesses? And did you lose any money with the businesses that you did invest in right off the get-go with that 100 k so I lost all the money. To be honest,
2: um, wow!
1: <laughs> I love the honesty. But you learn from that shit.
2: Yeah, I think I think the the best thing about it all was the lessons that I learned. I know it's corny to say, but the lessons that I learned about starting my first business, like and how I kind of went about uh, operating things from that point forward. I think that if you have a bonus coming in don't invest in shit that your friends like telling you is a great idea. Invest in something that you love, like something that you're going to be excited about checking in on. Like I started the sunglass company because we were on, we were in Fiji and we're like, Oh, we should have, we should have sunglasses. And then I never wear them. Like I I, I don't love sunglasses. And at this point now, like the companies that we are creating, it's stuff that we love and I wake up and I get excited about Thinking about the ideas and wanting to move forward. If it's something that you're not excited about, or if it's, if a friend's telling you to invest in a stock or like a crypto coin or something that you really don't understand or not excited about, then I personally think don't do it. Like find something, save that money for a rainy day, and be like cool, you know, maybe you want to sell your grandma's scarves that she knits, and you're excited about growing that business. Put stuff aside for that because you're gonna it's gonna be more enjoyable, and you're gonna be more passionate about it, and you're gonna be more passionate about wanting it to to win and succeed.
1: I love that fee. I mean, that's feedback from someone who lost thousands and thousands of dollars doing it the wrong way. So I love that feedback. And I think people should take not to laugh about it. But hey, you know, uh, I think people should also take that same exact feedback as they approach their job. Like, there are so many fucking jobs out there in companies that you could work for that you could be proud to see. Like, think about the companies that you buy or the, you know, just like, suppose you're a big sports fan, like that team has thousands of jobs you could work for. I think people need to take that approach too. But um, Okay, so Harry wins his hundred k, blows it all, gets ripped off on bottle service, invests some business, goes belly up. At this point, how much has your social media grown uh, just after after the first show? Like forty thousand followers, I think. Forty thousand followers. So at this point, are you monetizing really anything from your social media platform? Um, I was I was doing my absolute
2: best, but I was trying to find ways. Like the the thing that I was trying to monetize the most was this fitness app that I had, but people didn't look at me like, oh shit, I want to look like him. It was more like I wanted to show my parents that I can figure out how to live life and use my social media following a way to to make sales and stuff like that. And it was it was again, it was like a silly gimmick and I wasn't proud of it, but I learned a lot. But yeah, I wasn't I genuinely wasn't really making any money whatsoever.
1: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean the fitness industry. It is so hard to make money and, and positively cash flow if you own like a gym or you're in that business. Um, but there is a ton of money in the supplements. That's where the mo- that's where the big big money's made in the fitness world. So you you, you do the app, you then land. Like how long was this period uh, between Heartbreak Island and landing on Too Hot to Handle?
2: I think it was a year or two. To be honest, like I, I remember I was. With my, so again, things were going belly up. I couldn't really pay rent anymore. So I moved in with my best friend, Christian and his family. And um, because we were operating the sunglass company out of his house. Okay. And I was like, fuck, like, this isn't it. Like, we, this sucks. Like, I wasn't happy with where I was. And like, things were pretty stagnant. And I didn't know how to get ahead. I was like, one thing I love doing is like entertaining people and uh, shooting for the stars. So I literally, for like four months, every single day I would wake up, I would find any single show and I would apply for it. And then I finally found that casting director for Love Island UK and they sent me the application to like apply. And I sent like 10 different applications in, different names, different photos, some naked, like nudes, like everything I was, I was like these... Wait, you... <laughs> I was like, going to see me.
1: Wait, you say that so casually, you just sent in nudes? Yeah, I was like,
2: these, these guys have to fucking see me. Like, I was... I was- <laughs> I was making the most bizarre answers. I was making shit up. I was lying. I was saying shit that was like completely left field to try and like get a response or something. And then they started hitting my line. And I was like, cool, now we're on. Um, went through the casting process for that show. And the the same people who were casting for LaVar and UK were also casting for Twot to Handle. And then they were just like, hey, I remember I got the call like, hey, so we'll work on this other show. Uh, we think it's going to be bigger, a little bit better. We can't tell you what it's called. We can't tell you who it's for, but you just have to trust us. And I was like, well, fuck, like we've gone this far. Like it was months of back and forth They And I was like, sure, let's do it. I don't care what it is. I want to figure it out. And then they flew me to Australia because I was living in Auckland, New Zealand at the time. Flew me to Australia for one coffee to meet a guy to make sure I wasn't like weird or like catfishing or anything like that. Sat down So to, dude, had a coffee. He's like, you're really funny. Um, and I'm like, sick, that's awesome. And then went straight back to New Zealand, didn't hear from him for like a month. And then I just got sent my flights and everything like that. I was next thing you know, I was on the show.
1: I mean, whether you know it or not, there are multi, multi multi-million dollar lessons though in what your approach is, right? So, uh, you know, what I think is really cool is like you targeted, and what most people actually in life don't do is they target exactly what they want. They find the different avenues to go And then they do extreme things to get the attention of those people. I mean, you targeted the shows, you sent multiple applications in, and then you got attention, whether it was showing your hammer to them or not, someone responded to you. And so the question I have in that process, the one thing that I got a little lost in was you had mentioned, you said something about 10 names, 10 different names. Do you mean 10 different shows or like you use different aliases, like not your name, Harry? Different names. Yeah. It was like, it was like Harold or Patrick or, like it was just
2: bizarre names because I was like, "What? Whatever person they like, that's still gonna lead to me." And like, it's you know, it's silly just putting one application in and thinking that you're gonna be amazing. And I was like, "Well, I could write these these answers to these questions a hundred different times, so I yeah. might as well do it." And then they're gonna look at it regardless.
1: How many total applications do you think under different names and and I mean the pictures I assume were all the same. How many yeah. total applications like? The sum? Do you think you you submitted uh, hundreds? Hundreds? I was doing it for months. Hundreds? Yeah, I was I was really doing it for months. Wow! All right. So, you, and when we're, when you say nudes, I mean you're saying like everything. You put I mean, it all. I, you can see the fucking veins in my dick. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what you want. You went for it. Hundreds of applications, and you got their attention. <laughs> you get their attention. And I want to keep going down this timeline and skip, but I can't re- I'll be remiss if I forget this part. What was the actual name that you used that got the attention of the casting director? Was it Harry? I think it was Patrick Harrison, because my middle name is Patrick. So I just switched it around. And I was like, all right. And then when you met with him, did you tell him, like, yeah, I just bullshit you guys. Yeah, been I out also, here. Like, my, name, my name's actually
2: Harry. Like, nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, Oh, you're funny. And then they started asking me how many guys I sat with. And I was like, "Here's the list. Go through it."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You hold nothing back, Harry. That's a that's a beautiful thing about you. And when, when you're when you're talking, as you're telling the story, you would think things like you're telling me, like you could see the veins on your dick or the list of chicks that you banged. I would be like, "This fucking guy, you gotta be kidding me!" But I'm so intrigued and I want to know more. And on top of it, you're so honest. So I'm like. I'm like, this is all I like this guy. This is great. Um, so so then you meet with them. And I do think there's some business cases and lessons to be learned here too, as your approach. So you finally do it. You finally land what I'll say. Let's even equate this to someone who's like trying to get a JP Morgan Chase or they're trying to land an agent job at a big agency. They go like crazy. They got a million people that could do it. Just like a million people could go on Too Hot to Handle, but they land the interview. You landed the interview and landed the opportunity to go on Too Hot to Handle. And you won. So what was your strategy going into the show to say, I got the opportunity. I need to make a monster splash to create impressions and brand and impact. What did you do? What was your thought process?
2: The first thing I said to all the boys was, Hey, I'm not here to make friends. I've already got friends at home. And this is a competition. And I'm going to go into those interview rooms. And I'm going to talk shit about you. So the first thing I, uh, the first thing in their head is, Harry's talking shit about me. I may as well talk about him. So then yeah. already all the lads don't like me. They're already talking about why they don't like me and what's going on. So I was like, okay, well, I'm already ahead now because they're already going to be thinking about me when they're getting asked questions or who they don't like. They're going to say, Harry. So that was like the first thing I did. And then the next thing I did is actually, they didn't show up, but I already created a handshake to come in there. So instead of fist bumping, I was like making everyone click their hands together like that, but like clicking at the same time. So I was like, okay, there's another thing that I've created that could either be used or not it could be seen on camera could not and then the next thing i did is i started calling people like weird names like food names or like naughty little possum and stuff like that because i was like no one else is going to come in with this much charisma uh say this most wild shit that's kind of like funny and then move forward from there so i was like that was the biggest thing for me is just coming in and from day one i was like well i know why i'm here i know what my end goal is And it isn't to be liked by these people it's to just have a big impact on the show because it was on Netflix. And at that time Mm -hmm. I remember going on there and I was like, there's no reality shows on Netflix. So this could be the first one. So I was sitting there I was like, well, do I just want to sit and and be worried about these people judging me or do I want to go hard? Do I want to make, you know, the person at home feel entertained and also try and like fulfill my goal. And that was the fall in love. My biggest goal, on that show I remember I was manifesting it for like two weeks was to find a girlfriend fall in love and it all happened and I was like okay cool like I did I did something right but I think the biggest thing that I did was just make sure that if someone's talking shit, they're talking shit about me.
1: And so your thought process with that was when I create the handshake, if people are talking shit, if I fall in love, the name Harry is going to be used often. And if the name Harry is used often, whether they like me or not, whether I am the lovable guy or the villain, I'm going to be a big part of this show. And a big part of this show is going to equal more screen time and more screen time is going to equal a bigger impact. Is that a pretty solid summary of like what you were thinking as to why you were doing it?
2: Yeah. And my, again, another thing as well was I remember my best friend, Christian, he said, you need to be a meme. And that I think that kind of what stuck with me the whole time is like, well, what can I do that's going to make me a meme? Because that's how you kind of stick around for a longer time or you get bigger beyond the show. So that's, mm-hmm. that was my biggest thought process. Again, when I was in there, I was like, damn, cause I don't really think about shit too much. Like I just go oh, yeah. flow. If it works, it works. If it comes out right, it comes out right. So I was just like, okay, cool. The biggest thing I can do is become a meme. I'll say silly shit. I'll say dumb stuff or I'll try and like put myself in a position where I'm embarrassing myself, but I know in a year's time or two years time when the show comes out that um, it's going to make someone laugh at home.
1: Okay. I love it. It's amazing strategy and it worked out, but I got, so I got to play devil's advocate. I got to challenge you a little bit and then I want to hear your response. So I'm going to challenge you by saying you're brilliant. You're smart. You're, you come up with all these ways to get in front of the camera. You get in front of the camera. You come up with a strategy to do it. In the Bachelor world, the biggest thing fans critique us on is, are you there for the right reasons? Or are you there just to get fame? And I'll tell you this, everyone at some level of percentage is there to get fame. And anyone who says they're not is full of shit. I'm going to challenge you and say, if you went through all this process, all these applications, through the dick pics out there, did the names and then came up with the strategy of being like the villain or the hero, but being involved. There's no way that you actually went there to fall in love. I'd say that. That's my opinion based on what yeah, you're telling no, me. What's your response? What's your response?
2: No. So the the fame aspect was the first initial thought process. That was the, yeah. that was the first thing I thought about. It. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going on Love Island. Not to fall in love is to get you know millions of followers and figure out a career around it to boost my sunglasses. Brand and then help my family back home. That was my biggest, that was my first thought. Yeah. And as the process started going on, I was like, you know, like I really need a girlfriend. Like I haven't had love. I haven't had this. So then the, the fame aspect dipped under the girlfriend thing. It's still there. And again, I say the exact same thing to people in our show where they were just like, oh, I was there to find a girlfriend. It's like you weren't. You were lying through your fucking teeth. You were not there to find that. Maybe it was an aspect of it, but the, the fame outweighs everything. Because you have to think like, again, like a lot of people don't really understand. It's like very normal people live very normal lives. Some people are counting. Some people are working at bottle stores. Some people are doing this. Very normal lives. Then suddenly they get their lives changed, like winning the lottery. So it's very, the, the fame aspect is massively attractive. And that was, again, that was my first thing until I f- found love and I was like, shit, like there was a moment on the show where my ex, was trying to uh, talk to another guy and I told the producers like, Hey, like I actually realized like why I'm here and I don't want to be here anymore yeah. because she's not with me. And I was trying to leave. I was trying to get out of here. Cause I was like, you know, like this doesn't matter what fame it is. Like I'm heartbroken. Yeah. I just want to go home. But fame again, massive aspect of it. And I would be lying to my teeth if I told you that I did, it wasn't attractive for me.
1: Gotcha. Okay. No, I think that that makes a lot more sense. And so then you go on the show and you, and you, you make the big impact that you do and you end up, I think that what was the, you guys all split, was it 75 K Yeah, that was the prize fund. So that ended up is 7,500 in your pocket. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And so like for like, how does like the, like you were willing to risk cash yet points through the show for love. So like, tell me about what your thinking process was. Cause I think that's something that everyone yeah. thinks about love versus cash. And obviously they put it on a great show to, to entertain us, but what was going through your head with that?
2: So I remember when we were there and they were telling us about, uh, you know, there's money up for grabs and it was like a hundred K. And I was like, my biggest thing was hundred thousand dollars. There's no way they're splitting it between 10 people because I was like, the logistics of international bank accounts, all the stuff. Just sounds so difficult. I personally yeah. wouldn't do it. So I was sitting there. I was like, it's just going to be one person and it's not going to be me. So I'm just going to have a good time. I was really falling in love uh, with this other person. I was head over heels and I was like, I don't really care about like a sum of money for someone else. You know, I was like, you know, that money actually isn't in anyone's pockets yet. It's just an imaginary amount that we've been told could yeah. have. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to follow my heart and my one of my top two love love languages is physical touch. So then that's how we started like spending the money. And then people started getting very angry. Uh, And then, but also again, I was just like, I was telling my girlfriend at the time, I was like, the more money we spend here, the more, man, the more money we make later on. Like, don't worry.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Spend a few thousand and too hot to handle by breaking the rules because that money will get you a shitload more. <laughs> yes. And it's crazy, dude. I was just talking to a guy who's a musician. And so he was thinking about actually playing on a reality show. So you know how reality shows will have like someone like actually play a, play a music and like they'll say the name of the artist and stuff. Yeah. He would have got about two minutes of airtime It's like, he's like playing for a date. He would have had to pay $17,000 to get that two minutes of airtime on this dating show. And so I think about from your perspective, if there's a guy who's willing to pay 17 K to just get two minutes of a big reality dating show, think about the money that is, you're actually, you're obviously not receiving it in dollars, but the value of how much you're getting every minute you're on that screen. And it, it, it makes sense. So you get off the show, then at this point you've made you know less than hundred k being on these reality TV shows, and you've told us how you've spent a little bit of it. So you get off, and and how quickly is your following just skyrocketing?
2: Yeah, well, because everyone was in the middle of quarantine,
1: and yeah. people didn't really have a lot to
2: do, so they just wanted to watch idiots run around on <laughs> dating shows. So I remember, spend cash to touch each other. That's what I'm saying. So I remember <laughs> I was sitting there, and I had. I think I just hit over 100,000 followers because I was working pretty hard on my social media. And I remember the first day and I jumped like 30,000 followers. I was like, oh shit, this is cool. And then my story views were cut like consistently at like 200,000. I was like, damn. Then it snowballed. Like it went crazy. There was the day where I hit a million followers. I remember I woke up in the morning. My friends had balloons. They sprayed me champagne. It was the craziest feeling. And I was like, wow, this is wild. Like, I just know that nothing's ever going to like be the same. So I was like, "Awesome! Like, this is cool." And then I remember going in bed at night and I checked my phone. It was like two million followers. I was like, "What the fuck what? is going on?" Because that was, I think, that was just the peak of the show. And like, I, we just yeah. come out that we're still in a relationship and everything was going good uh, before it went bad. And then it was very bizarre. It was a weird feeling. I remember being overwhelmed and anxious and like confused because like we were still in our apartment. It was still me and my boys, and like nothing. Was different. I think that's why I'm still the same person is because I didn't get a chance to go to the clubs and everyone be like, oh my God, you're the man. It was more so just like, we're still in the apartment, they like were still hanging out, we're still like still chat, like chatting shit, like playing PlayStation and like just like hanging out. So I think it was a massive blessing as well because I'm still like a little old small town Harry.
1: Yeah, I love that. And so you guys had the plan, right? You talked about like the, the money will come. And so you get off the show, followers are skyrocketing. You're doing your own thing in quarantine in the apartment, you know, staying true and, and down to earth. When was the first moment or what was like the first big brand deal for you that someone came knocking in and and said like, hey, we got this much to pay. This is what we need you to do that you were like, Oh shit! That's a lot of money. This is a real thing.
2: I think it was Boo. To be honest, they're still my sponsor now. I think uh-huh. they they come in hot. There was one of my friends who manages other social media influencers, and he's like, "Hey, we have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for you." And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I was like, "I was like, yo, like I don't need that much money." And I realized that he was just fluffing it up because he was trying to sign me. But okay. I remember sitting there and I was like. Wow, like this. I was like, Are you sure they want to spend that money on me? And there was also another brand, like, uh, quickly after that, wanted to do like a collection with me. And they said, Oh, yeah, we want to give you a hundred K. And I turned to them, I was like, You don't need to do that. Like, you don't need to give me a (laughs) hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, What? And I was like, Look, like, why me? Like, I can show you like a million other people that are better for this, better suit for your brand than me. And they're just like, What are you saying? Like, you don't want to work with us? I was like, No, like, I would love to, but I'm just. Confused, Like I was very like worried. I'm like, why, why do you need to do this? It's just like, it's just me. Like, I don't mind like hanging out and like being my own person. But yeah, it was, it was honestly, because it it happened really quick. Like it happened within a month. Like everything just flipped and I had my merch, my merch was selling. I remember I would wake up, I'd go train with my boy and there would be like a Shopify would be like a $2,000 already for the day. I'm like, it's fucking 7am. Like, I don't know what's going on. It was it was very bizarre. I remember I maxed out all my credit cards because they were like because I was doing it through print on demand. So it was like yeah. maxing all my shit out. I remember sitting there, I was like, this is just really weird. Cause at that point before I was really struggling to make ends meet. I was doing what I could with my business and like trying to figure out how to navigate like the LA lifestyle. And then it all just kind of like changed like right away. Yeah. Like and I was like, damn, like all the hard work, all the company, all the stuff that I set up, like the the nets that I set up before this, I call them like fishing nets. Yeah. They set up before this, have all kind of just like paid off. And I was sitting there, I was like, damn, this is really bizarre. This is a weird feeling.
1: Just wild. And so for anyone that just heard Harry say, print on demand, maxing out the credit cards, we'll do a recap after he goes and, and Harry, a lot in our recaps, we'll like break down some business lessons. We'll explain print on demand for merch and why he had to max out his credit card. So if you got confused by that, hang tight. And so Harry, then you realize like these companies are willing to pay you hundred grand or willing to pay you 150 grand. At this point, you're saying to yourself like, I don't need that, man. I'll do it for less. Right. I'm sure there was a learning curve where you quickly learned like, it's it's not only about your brand, but it's about the impact that your audience or you can have on your audience and also the amount of people you touch. And these these companies need to pay for that stuff. So now when you hear yourself saying like, I was like, oh, I don't need that much. Has your tune changed a little bit that you're like, wait a second, I have access to almost 10 million people. Yeah. Uh, if you want to work with me, it's going to cost you some serious bucks.
2: Yeah, I think that I really didn't understand like brand awareness because I also would feel guilty if they didn't get the sales that they wanted. And then I realized that brand awareness is actually a massive thing that like regardless of, you know, if they get sales right away, they're also like hitting more people than they would on their normal accounts and stuff like that. So it was a little bit alarming for me to be like, oh shit, why am I like turning all that stuff down? But now, now I understand it a little bit more and like the the real, uh, you know, reasons why they offer a lot of money for this stuff. But then I also talked to other influencers and they just rinse these brands for every dollar they have.
1: So i like, it's crazy. Absolutely nuts. We only got like eight minutes left with you. So I want to kind of stay in this post show life and what's next for you. But you start racking up these big opportunities with brand deals. You start your own businesses. Uh, you know, for me personally, like every year when I write down things that I want out of the year, I do it personally, professionally, and financially, I put it in buckets. And one of the areas in financially is I'll have a goal from like an income perspective of what I want to try and make that year now that you're cranking stuff left and right as an entrepreneur and you you have so many different sources of revenue do you have like a goal that you're like okay if this year i want to be able to make this much i've achieved it
2: yeah i want i think the biggest one that really stuck in my head was 10 million uh, mm-hmm. which is an insane amount of money and yeah. it's crazy to think like i've only been in this like industry for like a year and a half or something so yeah. it's, it's very bizarre to be like okay cool like that's that for me is like, it's, it's disgusting. It's a disgusting amount of money, but I just think that it's just something that's always like stuck with me is like, how do I, how do I get from here to 10 million? And I think the biggest thing about getting these positions is a lot of people get complacent. Like a lot of people make a million dollars and get very complacent and very comfortable, which is fine, which is completely awesome. But for me, I'm like, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money, but like it's more, I don't know. I feel like the money really starts coming when, you start doing what you love. Like I, sure. with my podcast, with uh, other business operations, investing and stuff, I don't really care. I don't want to hear about the, the money amount. I just want to do it because I love it. And I think yeah. that's where the, the money starts really float, floating in. But again, biggest thing is just not being complacent, moving forward and, and whatever you're doing, just trying to put one foot in front of the other in the right direction.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, Harry, people probably listen to this and they're probably almost like paralyzed or shocked. They're like, did he say $10 million? But I think it's really cool that you're willing to talk about that because you think about how quickly your life changed, right? From being miserable in, you know, double study university to now having a goal of making $10 million. And the fact that you're willing to talk about making $10 million a year opens up the conversation. And then if you achieve it or come close, think about all the lessons that you can provide that you learned through that route to 10 million that yeah. one person or millions of people could take and change the way that they're kind of driving their course of their life. So I love that you're open to that. It's 10 million bucks. Let's say you get there. I got five minutes left with you. You get to 10 million. Yeah. What is going to be the number one way that you make $10 million a year? What's your number one source to do it? Uh, positively affecting
2: people like making a product that makes people feel better, uh, whether it's about themselves or just gives them a, a reason to have, you know, a 10, 20 minute part of their day where they can just meditate or get in their own head. Cause I think for me, I, I had a billionaire on my podcast and I was kind of asking him like, what was the point? Cause I, I was like,
1: which, oh. which billionaire was
2: it? Uh, it was my friend, David Katz. He, he doesn't like to oh, yeah. say that okay. he is. Um, okay. but he owns this amazing company called plastic bank. And, in my head, I was like, damn, like, you know, I was so fixated on the dollar amount. I was like, yeah, one day I want to be a billionaire or one day I want to make ten million dollars or whatever. But when he what he said to me was, once you start positively affecting this earth and, and people and putting out that good stuff, it's gonna come back to you. And again, I, the biggest thing is like don't be afraid to spend money. Like people are too afraid to invest in this or buy themselves mm-hmm. a new laptop. It's like you have to spend thousands to make millions. And I remember when I went on Logan Paul's podcast and I was sitting there it was just after the show and I was like oh my goal is to be a millionaire by 23 and I was so like, disappointed and and I don't I saying the 10 million dollar mark to uh, I guess it might sound scary to some people like oh that's so far away but again like I, I remember a year ago I had or a year and a half ago I had 3000 in my bank account and I remember oh, I was sitting here and I went on the podcast and I just made like a couple grand and I was doing really well and I was talking to Logan Paul about it I was like yeah my goal is to make you know, be a millionaire by 23, and I missed it by a couple of weeks, or not a couple, a couple of months. And then that, as soon as I hit 24, I was like, "Damn, like, it's all happening." But then once you hit that point, you're like, "Cool, the goalpost has to move." And I think the reason why I say, uh, you know, I would on my, I think on my board up here, I've got what this company that we're launching get it to 100 million, and mm-hmm. I, I say these crazy absurd amounts because. My biggest thing that I keep telling myself is I need to dream bigger. You you Mm -hmm. need to think bigger. You need to manifest bigger and put yourself in the position mentally that you're already there that you have it. And because it's just going to keep coming, like no matter what you're doing, like time's going to keep moving forward. You just have to seriously just dream bigger, and then it's going to happen. Like 10 million right now to make 10 million dollars a year seems like a crazy amount to some people, but for me, I'm like, "Eh, I feel like it's already happened. 100 million. 100 million is the next goal. Then it's a billion. And then it's moving forward. But I, again, if you take anything away from this, it's do shit that you love, put money into shit that you love, uh, and, and move forward in that sense.
1: Yeah. I think that's so great. Cause you can, you can totally put a lid on the ceiling of what you can achieve. If you are also just like hanging out with people that think like that. And when you meet, you know, I got to hang out with Logan Paul WrestleMania, uh, in his locker room, I was just blown away by his expectations of things. I'm like, he, he just looks at things at such a hot, there is no ceiling to him. And you're just like, what is this guy fucking dreaming? But then he does it and then he yeah. does it and he does it. So to hear people like that and to create goals like that, I think puts you in a position to just achieve it at a, at a much greater rate. It's pretty cool. The last thing I got to ask you, so you want to make 10 million bucks a year. I saw this. I'm researching it. When I came across the article, man, I was dying laughing. So, OnlyFans, I heard you took a picture and that you were a top earner, 500K on OnlyFans. Is this true? Is this false? Will you make more than a million bucks this year on OnlyFans?
2: Yeah, man. <laughs> made more than a million on. <laughs>
1: You've already made more than a million? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're doing, we're doing really well over there. Um, but again, like it, it sucks to, to, like, I don't want people to be like, oh
1: my God, that keys. Like you know. You're not doing this in a, like, I can tell you right now, your tone is like, you're not like this arrogant, yo, I made a million bucks. I and mean, You're just like, laugh about like, dude, I don't know. We live in this fucking wild world. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm young. I'm saying, Why not? Yeah. I'm gonna make a million bucks. And I think it's like those conversations that people are afraid to have that people can at least start to say like, Hey man, the world is changing. Like that, that's the nature of the market. People are paying a million bucks for it. So, yeah. you know, you're not in my opinion, coming off at all, like I arrogant mean. or, br- or like brash about it. I I think it's more like you're coming off as like educational about the topic
2: yeah i just and also again like you were speaking uh, at the start of this podcast about being uh you know transparent and being authentic and being yourself like for me like i don't want any anything like, i don't have anything to hide and like i tell like i'm open book with everyone you know i talk about it. even like some sometimes people i sleep with like embarrassing sex stories like i'm an open book with everything and i think like no one really asked me about like finance this is my first kind of like one about all this stuff so it's Been interesting, but I then again I don't want to be like, oh my God, like be that flashy guy that's like pushing on people. I just want my biggest goal is to like have people that were in the same position as me, like see someone like me that's maybe achieves like some small success and be like, cool, it's possible, it's so doable. Like I look at people, like there's people like Justin Bieber, there's people like Drake on this planet. If they're walking this earth, that means it's possible for you to do it. It might sound crazy, Mm -hmm. but like there's Yachts worth five hundred million dollars. Like, there's the fact that that exists means that there's a chance that you can get it. You can own one of those. You can make that type of money. It's just like it's just so much abundance. I think that what people get scared of is then this is what happened when I had three thousand in in my bank account when I moved here. I was like, oh fuck, like I can't spend money. Like, there's not enough money now. Like, I have to worry. It's like you have to change your mindset. If you're if you're not making the money that you want, if you're worried about Spending money, or you're worried about, you know, when your next paycheck is going to be. It's it's going to cause like a scarcity mindset, and you're going to close up. You're going to freak out. You're going to be scared to do stuff. You're going to be scared to go out. Change your mindset about having abundance. That there's already ten million dollars in your bank account. There's already money coming in, and I promise you, it's going to come. Like my my best friend uh, Jacob, who's been living with me for a little bit. He had he had that mindset. He was like, oh you know, I, I lost this, like, I'm not doing this work anymore. Like, I'm stuck in a different country. Then as soon as we changed his mindset, as soon as he sat down and started thinking about ways that he can do it, I was like, "There's there's a billion ways to make a million dollars. And as soon as you change your mindset about having abundance and already having what you want to have, having it now, it's going to come, it's going to
1: happen. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you for a trading secret, but I think we'll call that your trading secret. I think you know, just just manifesting it and rewiring re and changing the way you set expectations for yourself, and, and living with uh, you know a perspective of like I can do it and I will do it, and if I don't do it, fuck it, something else will will work because there's a lot of money to be made. It's usually the people that aren't making those 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 risks. It's the people that aren't taking on those chances um, that usually are finding themselves always finding you're using excuses for why it didn't happen or saying I wish I could have I wish I did and like what what you get one life on average as humans we're here for like 79 years that's just an average person in the united States yeah. like you got 79 years 18 of them are you're a kid 61. To really just live, you get one shot, like just fucking go for it. I love this podcast. Uh, This has been awesome, Harry. I really appreciate your time, your openness. I would encourage you, like, keep telling this story. It's fucking awesome. You're gonna hit the 10 million, you're gonna hit it this year. You're gonna write a book about it. There's so much more shit for you to come. And um, I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you, Harry? Your podcast, everything you have going on, if they want some more of you or they wanna, you know, continue to learn from you.
2: Yeah, so my podcast isn't as insightful as this one. It's, all, <laughs> it's all about sex and whatever's going on. Um, okay. my, my podcast is called Tap In uh, with Harry Jowsey, and then social media, it's Harry Jowsey. My last name is J O W S E Y. It's a bit of a weird one.
1: Well, we got insight from you, and we've already warmed them up with a little bit about your dick pics and the veins on your dick. So hopefully, they can transition well, to I your actually, podcast. No I, issue. I,
2: I think that should be my training secret: is if you apply for a show, get your cock out. That's what get <laughs> you. <laughs>
1: There's the trading secret. That's I got to tell you what we've had some we've had billionaires on too. We've had them all. And that probably is the best (laughs) trading secret I got. If you want to go big, get your cock out. Harry, thank you so much for your time, your energy and uh, just just all the hilarity that ensued with this podcast. Man, we appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for having me. All right, man. Take care. We'll talk soon. See you guys. We are closing in the bell with probably one of the most electric episodes of all time on Trading Secrets. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm out of breath just from thinking about this, and I'm sitting over here coughing. Trading Secret was send your dick pics out, do whatever it takes to make money. Harry Jousy, David, I am sure you are listening to this. Just. Grinning, just so excited for this recap. So I'm gonna stop talking. I'm gonna pass it over to the curious Canadian, David Arden. What'd you think? I mean, so excited for this recap. I'm a huge Too Hot to Handle guy. Me and my
0: wife Ashley, we watched Too Hot to Handle. One, two. We watched the Brazilian episode, the Latino episode. I didn't know this, dude. We have watched all the two. We watched Too Hot to Handle that are like dubbed English, that like you can't even like make sense of what they're saying. But love the show.
1: Jowsy. I want to stop you. Okay. What is the, what's the cat? Like, obviously I could explain in a few sentences exactly why people are obsessed with the bachelorette. Why are people obsessed with too hot to handle?
0: Uh, so to sum it up really quick, you go on there, it's a bunch of singles, good looking people. They think they're just going to party and have a bunch of sex. And then they get put on after the first 24 hours after they're like hooking up and whatever they get instituted rules. Where they get out of the hundred thousand dollars, money gets taken off every kiss, every time they have sex, whatever. And so you see these people like do these workshops and it's really good, like pure, like as Harry mentioned it, like he fell in love. He was about to leave the show. Like you see these like players and people who like frustrate you, and you want to like like yeah, scream at them because they're so like obnoxious, like yeah, like grow on TV and fall in love, and it's authentic and it's really, really cool. So all right. Um I, love I'd to see the growth it. in it, but Harry, my man, electric, everything that I thought he'd be and more because he's actually smarter, more genuine and, and more kind of a human that I think he portrays on TV and his Instagram and his only fan team, <laughs> I haven't seen that, but you can imagine, but here's the thing that stuck out to me the most. Uh-huh. I got Harry Jowsey on here, uh, open and honest $10 million is his goal to make this year a year and a half after being the show when he had $3,000 in his bank account. You're one of my best friends. <laughs> You're way more polished than Harry Jowsey, You got mm-hmm. 10 years corporate banking. You got more time in the reality world. you got a finance background. You got a finance company. This guy's making what I'm going to assume is like five to seven times your salary. <laughs> I need to know how and why this is happening in the space that you live in.
1: It's a great breakdown, David. I, that's a good question. Here's Here's my takeaway from it. If you analyze anything that's happening in this world, anything that's happened in this world 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years ago, sex sells, man. Sex yeah. sells. The only issue, like, look at Call Our Daddy, like Call Our Daddy blown up. Uh Tim Stokely with OnlyFans, dude. They did in 2020, they did over 2.4 billion dollars in revenue from people that just want to get nudes sent to them with over. Wait, this is the crazy part. There's overall like 125 million users on OnlyFans. Think about that. That's a, that's a third of our country. That, that's all population that is on OnlyFans. So I think sex sells. Here's the only issue. Your peaks with selling sex are going to be all time high. It's, there's going to be nothing that could substitute it. The only issue is where is the longevity in that? My counter to that. So if someone, if I was selling sex, someone said, where's the longevity? My response to them would be, well, I'm smart enough to know that if I can capitalize on that three to five years of me selling sex, I'll have enough cash that then I could use my brain to make money on that cash and I don't have to work for anyone again. But sex sells and 10 million... And plus, he's got a shit ton of followers, right? 10 million yeah. bucks a year from a 24-year-old who was broke just sending dick pics to casting directors. It's crazy. You know, the one thing I wanted to ask him, David, and I think... So you watched the show... Uh Francesca. So I think Francesca is his ex. And I saw that she had put something out. I didn't get to ask him this because we were rolling. She Uh put something out about him. And as a result of it, he lost 200,000 followers and he sued her. Did you hear anything about that? And tell me just your overall take on that whole Francesca situation.
0: I haven't heard anything about that, which is bananas because you know nothing slips my uh my eyes and especially <laughs> in this uh, reality tv world and pop culture world so i haven't seen that what i will say is uh francesca is from vancouver canada same uh same as me so i'm gonna make this a formal plea to get uh francesca on the pod so we can get her side of the story and learn, learn a little bit about her but those two are just they're just a uh social media reality TV dream couple to that. You see you fall in love with, and then you want to be invested in their lives. But no, I haven't seen that. Um, the, that he sued her. Francesca but they're on and off. Like up. they are the definition of on and off. Like in the, um, uh, reunion show, uh, he proposed to her via zoom with a ring pop as the ring. She said, <laughs> yes. And then back in May, like he posted a picture with her on his birthday. And it, got like a million and a half likes and people are going nuts. They're back together and then no picture since. So that's because they they know know what they're they're doing. Listen
1: to this guy. I mean, like I love this conversation. I have a lot of respect for the fact that he's like, I know what I am. I'm going to do what I am. And I don't give a shit what people think, but this is a guy who is like very well thought out. Right. I mean, he talks about how he wanted to be a villain immediately just so that his name would be used more on camera. And therefore, whether he's loved or hated, he'll be a part, of the actual plot, I mean, if he's not well talk, thought out. Yeah.
0: If they're talking shit, they're talking shit about me. So that's what I like to exactly. like uh, quote there. But hey, he said he goes the difference. Biggest difference between me and everyone else is doing what I do. No days off. No days off. So one thing that I want to bring up that he talked about in terms of like, you know, his experience in, in being an influencer in the last year and getting towards ten million is kind of. How he felt bad at the start. He's like, you don't got to pay me that much money for uh, Instagram or my social media. But he talked about brand awareness, and I think you know it's it's hard for people, especially the general population. I follow enough influencers or celebrities to be like, I can't believe people are paying the money to post this. Like I'm clicking on it for half a second, and I'm already on to the next. You obviously are in this world. Do you ever feel guilty, like he said, when companies maybe don't get the sales that you had hoped that your influence would? would get them? And have you ever gotten really negative feedback from companies being like, you're the worst. We can't believe we wasted the money on you, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: It's never been that bad, but I've definitely had negative feedback. Here's why. Mm. You'll get negative feedback in these campaigns when you proactively have a manager or yourself who has not understood exactly what they are trying to accomplish. What they're trying yeah. to accomplish, is it is it eyeballs? Is it actual sales? Is it increase their following? Um, are they just trying to create overall brand awareness for a new campaign. When you don't understand their goals, then you put a campaign in place that flops, it usually starts with not understanding their goals. The second thing I'll say is if you compare this form of advertising to anything that's being done right now or before social media, it is so much more effective at decreasing the cost of a new client acquisition. So I don't have any feel, I don't feel bad at all. The other thing these companies do, Is almost none of them. I mean, it is so rare. It's like a a ten to twenty percent max capacity there that they will do a deal that is more than a one-off. Right. So they'll do one post, one story, or two posts, two stories, or like a three-month package. But they're not committing their life to you. They're not usually. Usually, they're not giving you equity in the company. They're giving you a big fee to get the name out. And the one thing that's common, whether they get their sales or their follows on Instagram, they're gonna get impressions. Right, impressions are yeah. how many eyeballs are going to see it. So I, I don't feel bad at all. It's a it's a way for them to actually be better with their advertising, and uh, it's interesting to hear a guy like that saying like Yeah, we're we're housing these companies." I think he doesn't realize how huge his impact is because you're not housing those companies. And at the end of the day, in two years from now, there's going to be another guy off to out to handle, and those companies will still exist and they'll give him the big bucks.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the companies who want like a really quick return in sales. And don't aren't in touch with like their analytics on like why they're actually doing this like influencer advertising is when they get in trouble. I also just want to touch on the like he 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 talked about, you know, you're the first podcast he's ever talked money. He's not, but he in the end of the day, he's not trying to hide anything. I think, and I want your opinion on this. Do you think that not hiding and being open about your finances and how much money you're making and the goals you're making and the following that you do have, do you think that makes you more desirable for a company to want to work with? Because it makes me think like, hey, if Harry Jobs is talking about wanting to make 10 million, these these are the, his goals and, and these are the companies that he's working with. And he wants to make 100 million next year. As a company, it's like, man, I want to get on this train before it gets to 100 million because it's just going to cost more. And if I don't do it, someone else clearly is going to. Like, Do you think just being upfront and honest about that is is more desirable for companies?
1: I think it could help you and hurt you. I think being uh, upfront about it, what it will do is it will create this... Vulnerability, this open book. It also allows companies to understand your goals. So, what if you're the company now thinking creatively? We're going to be the company that gets Harry to his goals. And we can spin this story to say from broke to rich, da 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 da. Like, so the more open you are, the more creative people could get. And the more open you are, the more magnetic you are. However, quirk against you. You start talking about you make 10 million, imagine you now know that Harry makes 10 million bucks a year and you're his assistant or you are his yeah. PR firm, or yeah. you are his agent. Or you're I, I, you know, <laughs> I could I could attest to this. You talk more yeah. about your money, mm-hmm. people come knocking. Yeah. So, you know, Fair. but there's something to that too that also enables growth and commitment and restructure an organization. So works for you, works against you. I think if you're going to do it, you really got to believe in it. And for me, it's like, that's the message I live by. Talk about what you make.
0: Do you think that there's any like... Uh, fabrication there so that he can then say, hey, I'm making 10 million, so I'm going to charge this to a company. Just like there was fabrication that he was the model when he really took his own underwear picks and Tommy Hilfiger, just like there was fabrication that he put Nudes on his ten applications. Not saying that he doesn't make ten million. I just wonder if it's part of his strategy. But
1: I will say nothing here, no there. Nothing would surprise me because history does say fabrication lives in the world of Harry. But if I'm yes. scratching the numbers and I'm seeing his engagement and I'm seeing everything I could see, if he's got good management behind him, he's making over ten million a year.
0: And when you got thirty-four year old <laughs> a married couple just following your every step, watching you on the big screen, and then uh, you know <laughs> listening to all your pods, you're doing something right. So. One business question I got to ask. You brought yeah. it up on the interview. Anytime you bring it up on the interview for the recap, it's my job to ask you. He talked about his merch and starting his business and maxing out his credit cards for print-on-demand. Now, I don't know what that means. So it's my job to be the voice of the viewer. There's other viewers who don't know what that means. What does that mean? Maxing out credit cards for print-on-demand.
1: Okay, so print-on-demand is a service that anybody could utilize that's listening here to sell, you know, i you know, give you an example is merchandise. So imagine I want to sell a bunch of hoodies, okay? Buffalo Bills hoodies. Trading Secrets hoodies. Trading Secrets hoodies. I like that.
0: Drop it in the reviews. If you want some Trading Secrets merch, if that's something we should think of, drop that in the reviews. And I'm dead serious because I want this. I want to push some merch out there. I would think we should
1: get some merch with the most outrageous quotes from people like Harry Jowsey that says, I sell dick pics. All different quotes from all of our different guests. If you like it, give us five stars. Tell us you want some merch and we'll make that happen. But suppose I buy the birch. I got to actually buy the hoodies. And usually what happens is I have to buy a larger quantity of Mm -hmm. them to get a lower price. So suppose I buy, let's say, a thousand hoodies. I have to buy them up front. Hopefully, I sell them. Yes, I'll get the colors, the design, everything. I have to house them. I have to ship them. I have to do all this work. If you do print on demand, you're actually paying someone to do all that. So you'll have all your stuff up on merch. But the big difference is that when someone goes to buy a sweater, they're working through another company. That company will actually order the sweater based on the demand, someone buying it, and they handle everything, the shipping, the packaging, they'll do it all. Now, the, the issue with that is to make money when working with printing on demand you have to have incredible volume because they mm-hmm. take so many fees given their situation. So it's it's really good for micro and small businesses, but it's very, very tough to monetize effectively when you're letting someone else do all the work because they're getting all the raw materials at such a low cost. They already have infrastructure to ship and then they're making big margins because you're paying them to do that and they get paid for that service.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So if you're listening, if you've made it this far, you're a diehard Trading Secrets fan. If you make it this this far in the recap. We know you're our people. Drop something in the review if you want merch. And if you do, what kind of merch would you would you rock for Trading Secrets and the crew?
1: I love that. From broke to making over 10 million bucks a year, over a million dollars on OnlyFans in just a few months, and from sending hundreds and hundreds of applications of casting directors left, right, and center under different names, different aliases with dick pics. That is an episode for you. Harry, Jowzy. guys, give us five stars. David, love your idea about the merch. Let us know in the comments, even if you've given us a review. Give us five stars. And in the comments, you want merch, you like it. And if you do, we'll get it. And we won't be using print on demand services. (laughs) Hopefully this was another episode of Trading Secrets that you could not afford to miss. Just wait until next week. We have another episode coming in high. And before the Harry episode, we had Johnny Banana. So you'll make sure you want to check that one out. The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, all different shows are coming up. We're going to make sure that we have stars from those shows to talk about where they are today. If you have any other feedback as to what people we should have on this podcast, please go in the comments, five stars, give us your recommendation. Thank you. And we will see you next Monday for another episode of Trading Secrets, one you can't afford to miss.